welcome to another podcast of BibleTruthOnline.com, and tonight we are going to talk about the final chapter of Hebrews, which is chapter 13. We had a couple comments before we actually get into the reading. There are verses that seem out of place for Paul, who we do believe wrote this, this book. We have a couple of ideas that this was a sermon given by Paul, and Luke could have written this down because of the mastery of the Greek when this book first uh, appeared. But chapter 13 seems a little different at times, and this is what we're going to pause on during this podcast and comment. So that's going to be a forewarning to the listener that when we're discussing certain verses, we're going to make a statement that these seem out of place for Paul, and then give our comments on it. So we'll get it right into verse 1. Before we go into that, one of the things we're saying, okay, we're not telling you this is what it is. Right. This is something we're seeing, we're apprehensive about this. And just like if, if Hebrews was only 12 chapters, at the end of the 12 chapters, we would give you a conclusion. Right. Is that what is happening here? Is what, is what we're looking at. Right. Is this Hebrews 12 chapters and this 13th chapter is a person who published this. It concluded it. Because chapter yeah. 12 could very well be a conclusion in itself. Yes. And 13 has elements of it that seem to to be added in. And it could have been added in by whoever wrote this hearing Paul or had this and then wrote a conclusion of their own. So we'll... Okay, so now we'll start with verse 1 of chapter 13. Verse 1, let brotherly love continue. Comment on that is uh, this is written to the Hebrews. Okay? So the Jews that have converted to believing in Jesus Christ have become the new early Christians. We have these stories and we know about the Samaritan man on the side of the road, the way the interpretation of the law is. An injured man on the side of the road wouldn't even get help from Levitical priest or lawyer. Okay, You're not allowed to touch him. And a lawyer, remember in that verse, is a lawyer, the word lawyer comes from, an expert of the law, someone that knows how to interpret the law. This injured man wasn't even helped. That is the attitude that needs to stop, and I see Paul reminding that for them in that early day, this ends. The heart of the law is to help each other, not to literally interpret the law to where it was accused Jesus was working on the Sabbath. Remember that story of the Sabbath is the day of rest, but it doesn't mean you don't draw water or help these people. Or okay. pull an animal that's that's stuck in a hole. Exactly. This is a reminder that Paul's doing to the early Christians who were converted Jews of this attitude has to end. And for us today, it's the same way. Our brothers of those are, are in Christ. Okay? I'm not ready to say it's everyone in the world, but especially show love to your brothers in Christ. There's a different version of this that says, keep on loving each other as brothers. Well, people of the gospel are can, just like the Samaritan on the road, for he is your brother, for he is a Gentile. The Jews have lost their heart. They follow only the cold facts of the law and not the full intention of the law. Verse 2, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Okay, we'll break it up uh, two parts in that verse. Forget not to show love on the strangers is reinforcing the point again of these Jews who have now converted the Christians, the stranger being now the Gentile. Gentile who was saved through Jesus Christ. 
Just because you're a Jew who is now converted to Christianity, know that Christ has come to save the whole world. That stranger you would never be associated with. Don't forget to show love to him because he's a brother in Christ now. These lines of Gentile and heathen people who are never to be around the Jews, this is all broken. It's a, it's a reinforcement to a Hebrew that now that you're in Christ, there's going to be other people who are non-Jews also that have converted. We know of Romans, right? The Roman guard who was converted too. The Jews wouldn't associate with them, but now he's a brother in Christ because he's he now believes. There's actually only two people. It's Jew and Gentile, according to how the Jew sees it. So, not heathen. They see him as Jew and Gentile. Right. Now, when we look at that verse, it says, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. This is the old verse of when Jesus and two angels walk up to Abraham. And when they do this, they're talking about Abraham. Abraham is pre-Jew. Okay, He's back in a time when there is no Jew. From Abraham will come Jews and Gentiles. But in here, if they both flow through Abraham, okay, this is like the law. Okay? Abraham is pre-law. Moses comes later. Jews and Gentiles are after this event. Okay? We're talking family here. This is the kinsmanship. One point, too, is that people in your life could often be messengers sent by God for your benefit. This is the story of Abraham and Lot, where it's referring back to. Again, to the early Jew and for us, there's a message. The, the Jew that converted into Christianity back then when this was written, and for us today, it's a reminder that the stranger, the person that's not your race, or the person that comes from a dif- different economic status than you, you have to share one common thing, and that is the faith in Christ. They're your brother, brother or sister. And also, maybe not aware of that entertaining angels, a stranger that you allow in your house, that's at your door. Now, I'm not saying to keep an open door, to allow everyone on the street to come in and you can entertain them and feed them dinner. Okay, Those that come to your door could very well be angels or could be Christians, messenger of God sent to give you, give you a message. Don't close that off. If you turn around and you look at it this way, there's a verse in the Bible that says the flesh counts for nothing. So it's got nothing to do with race. It's got nothing to do with color. It's got nothing to do with everything, material, wealth, any of that stuff. It's got nothing to do with that. If What we're talking about here, this brotherhood, this kinsmanship, it's all about the people who have died to the flesh and are now in the spirit. Those are your brothers. Right. When Jesus turns around and, and that lawyer comes to him and says, Who is my neighbor? Right. He gives them the story of the Samaritan. The Samaritan is part of that family. The ones who have come to Jesus... It doesn't matter what you think of them. If they've died to themselves and are now part of the body, they are part of the body. If you're part of the body, you are of kin, they are your brother. Verse 3, remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Okay, another way of saying that from a different version, remember those that are in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who are mistreated as if you were suffering yourself. Okay, the point out to that is, is you are. You've died to the flesh. This body that we're talking about, you yourselves that we're talking about, these is, this is the body of believers. Right. 
And there's still Christian persecution today. And there's still the body of believers today. Exactly. Is this body of believers, when the North Koreans that are Christians are being persecuted, they're persecuting us. Right. Right. And remember, 20th century has been the bloodiest for Christians through, as far as sheer numbers of millions of Christians persecuted and died. Yeah, we here in the United States, we've had it easy. Right. Okay? Because we've been through long periods, slow periods of this. Right. But to the new Christians out the rest of the world that are now joining us, okay, remember that India and China are the two biggest Christian nations now. Right. Just by sheer numbers of people. Well, these people, these huge numbers, are minorities in their country, and people are trying to kill them for it. Yeah. Verse 4. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Okay, marriage starts off with Adam. Notice I didn't say Adam and Eve. It starts off with Adam, and from Adam comes Eve. The one becomes two, the two become one. That's a married couple. They are one entity. Okay? When we, today, we turn around, two of us go before God to get married. Okay, we're reenacting the Adam and Eve story. We go to God, and God blesses, you want God to bless the marriage, God blesses the marriage, and the two become one. Now, to keep the marriage bed pure, if anyone steps into that marriage, an adulterer, a man or a woman steps into that, they are breaking that one person's bond. And God will judge the adulterer and all the sexual immoral. Okay, anybody who breaks that marriage is breaking what God has put together. Let no man break apart. Let no woman break apart. Let no man break apart. So as we look at this, the marriage, we ask God to honor the marriage. God has made the marriage honored. It is to be honored by all. Okay, this marriage that is honored is to be stayed away from from everybody else. And every marriage that is honored is honorable to everybody else. Everybody else can marry as well, and their marriage is honorable. The two went before God, and God honored it. It is honorable for those two people right there. And everybody else stay away. Putting in the context again, we have the early church. Again, I want to emphasize Jews becoming Christians. When you look at Jews, how does one become a Jew? It's because their mother is Jewish. Okay, There's this word shitska, which is a Gentile woman. It's still used today. It's an insulting term in, in Hebrew to mean a non-Jewish woman entering marriage with a Jew, and it's looked down upon. This shitska idea, this, remember, Gentiles are now also your brothers and sisters. It's not just the Jews. God puts together the marriage, blesses that. And Jews would have problems because of the past, and I'll make an example here, of Ruth and Boaz. One of the reasons that book they don't like is because you have a Gentile woman marrying into a Jewish line. To a Jew, that doesn't look good. Paul is emphasizing here that all marriages are brought and bonded before God. He brings the two becoming one, and it's to be honored by all. If it's honored by all, it's going to be honorable for all. Okay, It's not just for the Jew anymore. This comes into modern day. You have the Roman Catholic Church, which I've always disagreed about. 
if you're not married within the Roman Catholic Church, the marriage is not sacramental and thus is null and void. It has to be brought into their church. They do not honor the Protestant marriages if you're going to enter into the Catholic Church. If you convert from a Protestant to a Catholic, a lot of times what you have to do, you have to have your wedding blessed by them to have it redone because it's not recognized. It's not honored by them. So we still have that same attitude that Paul's trying to stop with these marriages not being honorable carrying into modern day. We still have this dishonorable look at non-Catholic weddings. And it starts off, the marriage should be honored by all. The two people who went together and had sex, they're married. That's it. Right. Right there it's done. And that marriage right there should be honored by all. They are married, they are bonded forever. Right. Okay. Well they weren't married when they had sex. Well, technically, once they had sex, they're married. Right. Okay, you go off. If you anybody else wants to have an affair with one of these people, it, that's adultery. Right. Okay, and if you don't honor that marriage, if you try to have an affair with them, if you try to tell them their marriage is not honorable, if you try to break up that marriage, okay, you're not keeping that marriage bed pure. You're the adulterer by trying to break it up. Right. And if you're trying to get around marriage the way God puts two together, you're going to be one or two things, a fornicator and an adulterer. Oh, absolutely. And it ends here, God will judge. And getting back to the Catholic Church, that marriage has nothing to do with the Catholic Church. It has to do with God put together. The two people, by the sexual act, have come before God to reenact the Adam and Eve story, and they they bonded each other. To break that up, now, they may not have decided to get married and go off somewhere else. Well, they're both adulterers at that point. Right. The term Samaritan, the hated Samaritans, they're hated for what reason? They're the northern tribes who went into captivity, who intermarried during captivity. Right. That's the exact reason why the Jews hate them. Yeah. Okay, That's what makes Samaritans dirty, low-down Samaritans. And know that Christ has come to save all. It's not just the Jews that convert. It's all people. Gentile or Jew. Remember, Jesus comes from the line of Ruth and Boaz. Mm -hmm. Okay? His whole line comes through a Gentile and a Jew coming together. Verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetedness and be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Okay, mine's in the first part says, Be ye free from the love of money. And let's take that there. That's a good point. Covetousness, of course. I like the money thing. Money causes people to lie, steal, cheat, and commit murder. Straight up. Mm-hmm. Causes people to hope for death, those leaving money to them as an inheritance. It corrupted the temple in Jerusalem. Right? It kept a rich young ruler from Jesus. Men with money seem to be possessed by it. Or possessed otherwise. <laughs> right. <laughs> And money seems to only bring contentment to the purpose of life. And the very idea of money is built for the flesh. Right. The money has nothing to do with spirit. And our thing of, you know, we hear the cliche, but it's biblical. Money is a root of all kinds of evil. It comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. Content with such things as ye have. For himself hath said, I will in no wise fail thee neither will I in any wise forsake thee. 
the best verse that directly correlates that comes from Jesus himself? Matthew six twenty-five through end of 26. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not your life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? The point of that part of the story is you're supposed to first seek the kingdom of heaven, okay, living in the spirit. All the rest of the, of the body stuff, he's telling you here, he'll provide for you, but first seek him. And it goes on, I mean, the rest of that is, is good too. Mm -hmm. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. Yes, going right back to that. That's again Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34 is what we read. Verse 6 So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The reason man can't do anything to you is because you died to your flesh and you're now living in the Spirit. This is a process of being reborn. It's a comforting verse, too, because there will be trials. And persecutions will, you will face once you live in a spirit and know that the Almighty Lord will help you through that. That includes anything from demons, demon possession. You don't know what evil you're going to face. Know that He conquers that. And if He's given you an assignment, if He has a job for you to do, you're not going to fail. Right. They can persecute you. They can attack you. They can do these things. But the job's going to get done. Or you're going to die and your job's over. Right, and, what, and that's the worst case scenario, is that you men will kill you. Know that you have eternal life after that. Your body dies anyway, so what's, what's the point if it's five, ten years earlier? So be it. Verse 7, remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Now this may appear like it's church leaders or something like that. Looking into this, it's more like the people who have personally brought you the gospel. Okay, if someone brings you the gospel and then they take you to someone else, that's fine, they're, they're included too. But this is a personal thing. This isn't traditions and you know dogma and things like that. This is coming into the gospel. The verse may look also like those that rule over you, meaning government. And that's not true because of the next verse saying men that spoke unto the word of God. This should actually read those leading you instead of ruling over you. And that in the Greek, um, there's Newell that suggests in the Greek means to go before, but in Greek those leading you would be clear. And that's what happens when you receive the Word of God. If you are not a Christian or you're a new Christian, there's someone, hopefully, that will come into your life or has, and you have this experience, of someone 
telling you the Word of God, preaching to you the Word of God. Yes, because it, it's hard to go into the Word of God without someone showing you. It's like the Philip and the eunuch. Right. The eunuch turns around and he reads Isaiah and he goes, who can understand this? And it's Philip who is raptured to him and explains the verse to him. God, God's going to provide a way. You, you knock, you seek, you start looking, people are going to come to you. Considering the issue of their life, my says imitate their faith. King James said what? Uh, whose faith follow. Okay. Considering the outcome of their conduct. Something, it's, it's something to look at too. Those that preach the word of God should have a life surrounded by the word of God. And you got a problem with the, you know, you got the Joel Alsteins that are preaching a prosperity gospel. Well, to, the gospel message is not about prosperity. It's just the opposite. If you're going to wind up with riches, chances are you don't have the spirit, you don't have the gospel message because it has nothing to do with anything physical that will be destroyed one day. And money will die with this earth. Okay, the word of God, the gospel message has nothing to do with trying to sustain your temporary life here. We're looking to attain eternal life. And that doesn't exist here. It doesn't exist in this world with all this money. It goes back to that verse where you have to be reborn. Mm -hmm. If you have to be reborn, if you have to die to the flesh and be reborn into spirit, and God is spirit in order to get that relationship with God, there's no point in, in keep trying to do all these earthly things. Right. And that's how I've gotten the word of God, too, as the people in my lives, including people of this group. There's something that I want here. Pat had something that I wanted, and that was clarity and understanding of the word of God. When I was a new Christian, I did not have that. So what did I do? I followed you around, and I kept talking, we kept studying, and that goes for, I think, all of us. That's how you come into Christianity. And I had plenty of schooling in, in, in all these different churches that I attended. Nothing clicked. It took an elder, it took someone who had a clear understanding to sit down, take the time, and tell me what faith is about. You know, it also takes, I think, because you get in a church setting, how many people really have a close learning experience with their church? You right. just don't get it out of a church. Right. It does take that one-on-one -on -one person going... If you don't ask a question, then you always hold that question in your mind. Right. And just looking at that verse, considering the outcome of their conduct, I think that one was important for me coming from sort of, I like to use the analogy, it's like a halo-wearing group of Christians that literally acted like they were perfect all the time. I understood that I couldn't be perfect, and I met these people in this group who understand that, and we are not perfect, and we don't try to be. But the outcome of our conduct is totally faith-based. There's nothing physical in this world that you can see in our lives. Everything that we have attained comes from the fact that we have been faithful to God and followed the word of God. Verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's no need for Jesus Christ, who is the creator, who is the truth of the whole gospel and Bible, to ever change. Truth, truth doesn't change. He is the truth. He's the word. Mm -hmm. That's comforting, too. That so that everything, when you look at I get upset with too many people who are new Christian only. God created the world. Well, Jesus created the world. He created Adam and Eve. He created all of this stuff. If your denomination cannot include David, Abraham, Adam, okay, if your story doesn't include this whole story, I think you missed. I know. It's, a, it's getting back God says something. Yeah. What, when God says something, what's going to change? Right. When does God change? He doesn't. Okay. What the way it was applied in the Old Testament 
the way it's applied in the New Testament, there's a point in time, it's called Jesus' death and resurrection. Okay? There's a way you look at it before, there's a way you look at it afterwards. But anything God said is. If he says orange, orange exists. It's that simple. And you're saying by that, if Jesus, in his word, including the Bible, can change in the past, present, or future, then it's not perfect. How can perfection change? Because either it's going to change for the better, which means it wasn't perfect, or change for the worse, which means it wasn't perfect. He's a creator. He's perfect. Mm -hmm. Verse 9, Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace. And in Paul's time, you had, today and before, you had examples of that. Paul's time, you had the docetists. And they believed everything physical is evil. They also started, uh, there's groups believing, including them, that Jesus Christ couldn't have lived in flesh, okay? Because the flesh is evil. So why would, why would the Son of God come down and live as a man? And they tried these strange doctrines that were not the truth. You have 500 witnesses of Paul, more than 500 witnesses of Paul, of the witness of what happened. He resurrected. They don't believe in that. So you had these strange doctrines today. You have same strange doctrines. I'm sorry to pick on people, but you got to admit, the Mormons have some strange doctrines. Well, you know, it's like Jehovah Witnesses have strange doctrines. Jesus is, is Michael. I mean, where, what are you talking about? And, and he can't even back it up. And he's Satan's brother. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is ridiculous. Yes. Well, you know, it's like the Catholics... When they get off into a fringe area where they say that Mary had immaculate conception. If Mary had an immaculate conception, we're talking about her birth, not the birth of Jesus. Right. If Mary was conceived immaculately, then she's not kin to us. Yeah. Right. Okay? The whole purpose about Jesus is a kinsman redeemer. Right. Okay, he's not a strange he's not an alien redeemer, he's a kinsman redeemer. And how do you not get carried away by strange teachings? You read the Word of God, you use tools, fellowship, okay? Hopefully you're born again, the Spirit can guide you, but there are tools, especially in today's world. You've never had these online tools in in the past 2,000 years, okay? Of where you can just type in a verse. Type in something and get the 10 most popular commentaries on that verse. I mean, the immense amount of tools that we have, 50 years ago people would be jealous. And we're talking about modern day right here. It's like when we were playing around, and I wanted to look at the word gold. Right, man. All you got to do is go up there, Bible Gateway, type in gold, let it run. Yeah. And why are you going to accept teachings if you don't understand it? Ask the questions. Just because someone says to you it's truth doesn't mean so. You've got to form that relationship with Christ. You've got to delve into with Word. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Well, someone can't tell you the Word of God, and you're not going to. Learn it through osmosis, sitting there in a pew. It's your responsibility. No one else's. Your responsibility to pick it up and at least start the process. Look at the paths that we've all lived. It's worked out. Yeah. It's difficult at times. He will provide you the means. And that's how you stay away from strange doctrines. Jesus is Michael, the archangel, Satan's brother. I mean, give me a break. The rest of verse 9 says, For it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. For it is good that the heart be established by grace. Grace, not your ego pride, okay? It's a heart established, really, 
by being born again in the Spirit. And when that when you're born again in the Spirit, you're given grace. And if you don't know, if you don't have that experience, you don't know. You will. You don't know, but you know at least strive for it because it's 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 wonderful. Not to say that as living in the flesh, you're not going to have these moments of egotistical pride, tension between the flesh and the soul that Paul talks about, right? It's a heart established without you. It's learning what did God really say instead of what you think the truth is. It's what God's truth is. Well, you know, it gets to a point when you first become a Christian and you first look to Him, it's a God, I want this, I want that type of thing. Over time, if, if you then you kind of learn that, hey, God will do what's in His Word. So you start looking at His Word. Now, if you really start looking at His Word, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You're in the Word of God. You start learning about what faith is. Right. It should come to a point where, where you're ready to be reborn. Right. And this is a process where you just start dying to yourself. Yeah. And you start accepting. It's like, okay, God, where do you want me? And, you know, that's our experience. That is the truth of what grace is. How do... I look at my life, how did I get to that point? Everything pointed away from Christianity, even though I didn't see it at the time, and yet I still found this truth. It still clicked. It still I saw these miracles that happened in my life. That moment where those things happen is grace. That's all step of it. And I don't know how it's a gift. I mean, I I don't want to downplay it by trying to explain too much in words. It, It is a miracle when grace hits you and you look back on it. You can see how grace played a part in your life. It's funny too. There'll be a certain event, right? And you don't really understand it at the time. Then, on the other side, there's another event, and you don't understand it. And all of a sudden, those two events come together, and it's like, oh, I know what that is. Exactly. I so know what that is. For it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. The people have been occupied with the food. It's like the Jewish kosher laws. We have the Ten Commandments, and all of a sudden it becomes 613 laws. The people of the laws, they start tweaking it and adding to it and using their own justification. You can divorce for this reason. You can do this. They start tweaking each law and its true meaning. Okay? You have the kosher law, and they're missing the point of God trying to tell us the difference between what is clean and what is unclean. And they start making it going, you can't eat this, you can't do that, you can't do this. And they take it to the next extreme. And remember, too, that in the Jewish, the Day of Atonement, what happens to that sacrifice is eaten. Okay, You have the Passover, like you're saying, kosher foods. I see it centering on the sacrifice, the animal sacrifices that were given in the Old, Old Testament, Old Covenant. That's one clue into it. Because you have this carrying on in today's world. Back then, the sacrifice atoned for sins, it was eaten. Well, today you have this thing of the communion is a, re- uh, a remembrance. It's a Eucharist. We are, now we've just changed it okay, into a whole new word that you never find anywhere in the Bible. This is actually the flesh and blood of Christ. And I know from experience, people have told me, I want to get closer to Christ. And how do I do that? I'm going to go take the Eucharist, and I feel getting closer to Christ. They're eating their way into heaven. And Paul says himself, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink in Romans 14. For it's chapter 14, verse 17. Okay, It has nothing to do with this eating and drinking. And you see that in the Roman Catholic Church today. There's only one sacrifice that was once and for all. All this Old Testament, 
Day of Atonement, all that's done with, under the New Covenant, it's Jesus Christ's sacrifice. Well, this this eating and drinking of the Eucharist and drinking the wine, the blood, okay, it's going into a physical body. And no matter what you say, this physical body's going to die. Right. It, it's, it's strange in a way, because our sins are forgiven. They're forgiven. People think they're forgiven of our body. And if they were, why would we ever die? Right. Okay? We all die. Exactly. So how can we be forgiven if we die? Right. The, the body's not... The body's not forgiven. This is all about the soul, about being reborn, being turned with spirit into God and God is spirit. Right. It all makes sense. It all flows. Right. But if you try to bring it into a physical world, it stops. Exactly. Verse 10. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. The reason they have no right to eat is because they're still living in a fleshly body. Right. We have a spiritual altar. We have a risen Christ. We don't have a dead Christ. We have a risen Christ. We're not talking about this physical body anymore. This is a different world. Remember, those that served the tabernacle ate the sacrifices, okay? The old sacrifice, Old Testament, like we always say, is a foreshadow of what comes in the New Testament. Okay, there's not a temple anymore where sacrifices are being made. You don't have that today. Okay. No, the Holy of Holies was torn. You didn't have it right then. Right. It's not just that they, they get uh, taken out in 70 with right. the Mossad and that. But the temple tent is torn. Yeah. It, it, there is no more. Our altar is the cross. It's Christ. It's His death resurrection. Okay. And those that eat, which serve the tabernacle, well, one, there's no tabernacle anymore. And two, those that did have that job are living Old Covenant. They have no right to eat of the New Covenant. You want to live Old Covenant? You're not in the New Covenant. They, they don't mix. Okay, Because that way, if it's true, then we all need to go to Jerusalem. Jesus Christ didn't pay for all our sins, past, present, and future. All these generations for hundreds of years have not atoned for their, their sins. Okay, We're not doing that Old Covenant anymore. We can't. We don't, we don't have aren't even the tools or anything. We don't even have the tools to do it. It means, yeah. it means from that point up, Every generation that has lived so far, they're right. dead. And this is, I see Paul's message to these Hebrews, those also, and this go like I just told you, those go on today with the Roman Catholics in their Eucharist, but I'm telling you back then also the Hebrews, the Jews, the Hebrews who were becoming Christians had to abandon all their ways, the previous ways. They're this, not going really to mix. And this is driving the point Paul made earlier in Hebrews about the Old Covenant being obsolete. Mm -hmm. it's, it's done. It's gone. Right. It did not profit those who were occupied with it before. Exactly. Let it go. You don't need to be doing it anymore. Right. Now he's going to get into. Now we're going to go on with the Hebrews thirteen here. He's going to even get more exact with this comment. Right. Verse eleven. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Which is true. When the sacrifice, the Day of Atonement was made, the sacrifice was burned outside the camp. Okay, he's just reinstating something that they know, hopefully that we know, of how the, the temple, the tabernacle, all those Levitical laws, how those priests did the sacrifice. And interesting, too, that he's talking specifically about the Day of Atonement sacrifice. Mm -hmm. He used right. an example of other sacrifices earlier right. in Hebrews. So we're talking about the Atonement sacrifice. Verse 12, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. It's prophetic. 
which is true. Jesus was crucified outside the gates of the city. The final sacrifice, just like the foreshadow in the Old Testament, when the Day of Atonement sacrifice was burned outside the camp. And that verse backs up the fact, Paul's saying it right here, that Jesus' blood sanctifies us. Okay? Well, you know, in the Old Testament, they took the blood and they threw it on the people. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And leaving the Exodus, you had to throw it on the doorpost. Right. You got to get covered with the blood. Now, the blood of an animal might cover you, but it's never going to pay the price. This is where the part about that kinsman redeemer comes in. An animal can't save you. It doesn't take much to realize that an animal can't save you. It's equal payment for the sin. Man's going to die because of sin. A man had to come and die to cover that sin. Right. Take away that sin. To pay for it. Exactly. Had to pay for it. Perfectly. Finalized. Well, completely. Right. It is finished, paid in full. And remember, and he used to stamp the same Greek word when it, Jesus says, it is finished, is actually a Greek word, same one they stamp invoices. Yeah. Paid in full. It is finished. It, yeah. It's the same thing. It's not only that you pay, it's paid in full and done with, filed away. Not looked at again. Yeah. Done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Verse 13. Therefore let us go forth to him, outside the camp, bearing his reproach. We have to go outside the temple worship. We have to go outside... The traditions, we have to go outside the shadows because the real thing is here. Mm-hmm. And bearing his reproach, it's not going to be easy. Okay, It's not going to be easy to walk in a life of faith. And it's not going to be easy spreading the gospel. You will get attacked. You will have stuff happen to you. But it's the truth. It is what has to happen. Jesus didn't have an easy time of it. I'm not comparing anyone's life to Jesus' life. No one can even come close. There's no imitating his life. Okay? What I'm getting at, though, is he had a hard time. All the apostles had a hard time. What makes you think you're not going to have a hard time? But it's worthwhile. Without these trials, faith doesn't grow, and it's the reproach that you're going to face. And the reason you're going to have a hard time, we should stop and take a look at that. If you have coffee in a coffee pot, and you want to clean it out, and you keep filling it up with water, mm-hmm. well, at first you just make it more of a mess. Eventually, more and more water will come out. And so there's less and less coffee, and it starts becoming more and more like water. But you're starting off to a world that's in darkness. Right. Okay, you turn on your, your car lights in the dark, and people are going to tell you to turn them off. They still want to sleep. Right. You're going against the grain of a lot of people. Right. This world is in darkness, and as you start to proclaim the light, people, people don't like change. They don't want to see it. Right. And vice versa, back up the reproach and the persecutions that you will go through. Is coming from John chapter 15, verses 18 through 22. It starts off that the world hates you. You know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. Now it even goes back to Paul's earlier about, do not fear what men will do to you, for the Lord is my helper. Mm-hmm. It's all backing, tying back that back into you, and the world rebuke, uh, reproaching you that being a Christian is not easy. 
this goes back into what is going to come up with the disciples in that, in that they're going to be reborn. They're being called out of a world. They're being called out of a flesh. They're being called out of a Jewish religion. They're being called into a born-again, spirit-filled Messiah, Savior of the world. These are two different things. Men have not been looking for a Messiah. The Messiah they've been looking for was a military leader. But that's not the plan. And the idea is not to save the Jews, the Israelites. The idea is to bring reconciliation of the world to God. Not to the Jews, not just the Gentiles. It's everything. It's from Adam, it's to me today. This process has to encompass everything. This is God of the universe. This is God of creation. It's got to reconcile every event together. Verse 14. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. That's very reminiscent of Revelation 21. New heaven, new earth. And the reason for that is this earth contains sin. This earth is going to pass away. And every city in it. Every city, every mountain, everything. So nothing, nothing is continuing. It's all, it's all going to die. And we seek that which is eternal, which is our life, like here. No matter what you do here in the physical realm, as good as you are, as bad as you are, the end result of this for the for the this world is you're going to die. The good die, the bad die, the rich die, the poor die. Everybody dies. Verse fifteen. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Thanks to his name is to who he is, and who he is is Jesus Christ. And the praise of the lips is his gospel story. It's the story of everything that's happened. It's why he came, what's going on, who he is, and the whole story. The Adam to me. The confession from your lips is what the gospel says and who Jesus is. It's your great confession. Hey, I'm a Christian and Jesus is the Son of God who came, died, and resurrected to pay for all sin. That's your great confession. He is the Messiah. That comes through you sharing the gospel message. Many people say there's no proof for God, and yet it's every Christian testimony going, no, Jesus is my Savior. Mm -hmm. Okay? It's not a, can you prove God? He's my Savior. We have this personal experience. If you're not saved again, you have no idea what we're talking about. But if you are, you know. Right. The fruit of your lips is going to be your testimony to what you know. And the gospel story itself. It's the same gospel story that the disciples were saying. Right. Mm -hmm. And the key to that is that it says, therefore, by him. This is not talking about singing or, you know, specifically worshiping in song, which is where a lot of the commentary that we've looked at on these verses goes to. Therefore, by him. This is talking specifically about the gospel message that Jesus brought here that we are to continue in his name. Notice that when we sing, we sing. But this gospel message is by him. Okay? Jesus doesn't make me sing well. If you ever heard me sing, you'll understand that. Okay? The gospel message is what is by him. It's his story. My singing is just terrible. Okay? But this is his gospel message, not mine. Verse 16. But do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Mine has but to do good and to communicate, forget none. A little different spin on the word communicate in there. Mm -hmm. And notice this isn't saying do good works. 
This is saying doing good and communicate. You communicate by passing on this gospel message, and it is good to do so. Right. And those could be those people that come into your life, the predestined good work, the people that God puts in your life that's happened to us, where you are on the receiving end of the gospel message, one day you're on the giving end of the gospel message. Those people that you meet could very well be those predestined good works, which God is well pleased. Right, and this is like Philip. Philip comes in, he doesn't have the gospel, he spends all this time with Jesus. It's like Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip is raptured out to the Ethiopian eunuch in order to, this time, give the gospel message. Verse 17, Obey those who rule over you, and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls, as those who must give account. Quite interesting thing. One, we're ruling out any government office again, or city government, because they don't watch over your soul. So we had to look at what is this talking about, and it's a spiritual rule when it says watching over your souls. Who has a rule over you and watches over your souls? It's your elders that have the gospel message. This is the people who are personally engaged with you. Right. If you go into a mega church and you sit in a pew 432 feet back, don't think the pastor is watching over your soul. He doesn't even know who you are. Right. Mm-hmm. This comes as a personal experience too. And what we have these. When I first uh, met Pat, I was off on the Judaism occult studies, and was very interested in Christianity. wasn't too sure who Jesus was. This is now my experience when I was a new Christian, and I met him in a convenience store, right? Mm-hmm. And you were confident, knew what the gospel message was, and that rubbed off on me instantly. I submitted to you because I knew you had information. I wanted to hear what you had to say. Now, you watched over my soul in that you knew that I was delving into divination, astrology, and all these things, okay? Which you told me, warned me against. Now, you didn't have to do that. You're not saving my soul. You're just saying, hey, the Bible, the Word of God said not to do these things. You better listen to why and what God is saying. And that made me stop. But there's another point to it also in that Once I told you these things, once I turned you away, there comes a testing, like the parable of the sowers, where in that beginning part, you're going to be attacked. As you try to turn towards God, you're going to be attacked. I felt extremely obligated to at least stay with you through that short period of time and let you get your feet on the ground. Because if I just left you there, if I gave you a piece of knowledge, okay, I gave you a piece of meat and didn't tell you there were three lions waiting outside to eat you. Okay, it wouldn't be fair. Mm-hmm. Or I feel like getting really drunk and going to a party where it's, going, it's a witch's party. What would you have to say about that? You need to slow down. <laughs> you need to slow down. We need to look at, look at where you've been, look at where it leads to. But, but this is part of it, too. And don't think the new Christian isn't going to make mistakes. Yeah. And don't think he's going to make mistakes because he's being tempted to make mistakes. Right. We all have. Mm-hmm. He, hey, he might, not get, he might not make any mistakes unless he is doing what God wants. You're not going to get attacked until you start doing what God wants. And we had an interesting uh, in final part of that verse. Let me back up so it, it connects. For they watch out, watch in behalf of your souls, as they shall give account. And giving account is like the watchman. And you have that in Ezekiel chapter 3, uh, verses 18 through 21. What does a watchman do? How does a watchman give account? A watchman is supposed to warn the city. Okay? 
if a watchman sits there and watches an army come in and the army takes out the city, okay, even if they survive the battle, they're going to kill the watchman. Right. It is said of Ezekiel that God says, if the man sins, I'm going to kill him. If I send you to warn him and he sins, I'm going to kill him. But if I send you to warn him and you don't warn him, I'm still going to kill him. But I'm going to hold you responsible. You're responsible to make sure that gospel message gets out. Right. It's like I told, I started you on the gospel message. Right. I need, I need to make sure that you, that I at least give you a decent shot on it. Right. I can't just Jesus saves and walk away with a big smile on my face. Or I can't do it. Accept what I say, and if you don't, that's bad for you because you're going to hell. That type of attitude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's holding me accountable. So, so you sin, you turn around and die for it. God's going to hold me accountable because I didn't really give the message out there. Exactly. You were observing as a watchman. Exactly. In the end of verse 17, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. You're going to talk about what we're, we've been talking about with this verse, but just to give you a, a different look. It's a different look at, at this kind of verse. In the Word of God, it means this, and sometimes it means that. So this is one of those looks at it. I know that there are other versions and stuff for this, but we're talking about giving joy to the elder. Okay? When me and John first hooked up here, I was working. I was working a second job. Okay, I was working in a convenience store. I was trying to put some extra money together. I was trying to buy a house. And he comes along, and he needs this gospel message. And... I, I'm working two jobs. I really don't have time. But he's there. He provided, he helped me with the store. He helped me clean up. He helped me do these things. He opened up an area for me, gave me some relief that then I was able to turn around and help him. Right. Hey, I was willing to turn around and help him irregardless. But the fact remains, I was sleeping about five hours a night. Right. I was working about. 16, 18, 19 hours a day, and I was commuting about three hours a day, and I would have tried, but I would have something would have fell out because I couldn't have done all of that. Right. And I, yeah. It was physically impossible for me to do. He had to open up a door. He had to give me joy. He made my job easier, and that allowed me to turn around and just concentrate on sharing the gospel with him. And I wanted that message, and I knew the grief that you were in. You didn't get the duties done. By the end of your shift, you could have lost that job. Or I'd have to stay over and do it. Yeah, and, and lose sleep. And lose sleep. And simply, it wasn't even a decision on my part. I did the work for you, you know, some of your chores, so that you could sit there in joy, which you got a lot of joy off the gospel message, one of the reasons I was attracted to it. Why I did those mundane, you know, physical daily life tasks that everyone does, you did on that job, you were able to share that message for me by eliminating that problem. You were an elder. I eliminated your problem of, hey, I would love to talk to you, but i got this stuff to do. I'll do it. So, so this is looking back, too. If you're, if you're looking at, oh, well, you got to get money for this and that. If, if you're not, if your pastor has to go out and work a second job, right. why are you even in that church? If you can't support him, if his message is so poor that it's not worth anything, why are you even there? Or these pastors that are running all over the place wearing all these different hats. And yet they can't even watch over their flock to see, for one, if they're even doing biblical studies, 
And two, if these if they are doing biblical studies, if these groups are even hitting the truth of the gospel. It's kind of like, well, the Spirit guide them. Well, no, wait a minute. You have guidance. You're an elder. You are the pastor. You have the training. You need to stop these things distracting you and focus on what's important. Most of these churches have this in their beliefs, this, the statement of our beliefs, that word is paramount, and yet you don't see the pastor themselves directing this. Well, you know, it's like you have the pastor who's in charge of evangelization. Right. What's the good of that if you get a person into a church and you don't teach? Right. Don't, don't even begin to tell me that going to church for 20 years and singing for 20 minutes and doing announcements for 15 minutes and you getting 5 to 8 minutes worth of, of reading Nobody teaches reading yeah. and what, 10 minutes of personal experience? Yeah. If you're only reading 5 to 8 minutes of the Bible right. and nobody's even explaining it to you like Philip, where are you going to get your learning? Yeah. And it doesn't happen once a week. How can you read it? Let's say they read a whole chapter in the Bible and you do an excellent sermon. Once they a week isn't a whole enough. Chapter. They never yeah. do a whole chapter. Yeah. I'm just saying, best case scenario. Yes. If it exists out there, but then once a week you're only giving that to the flock. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. We, we turn around, I just got through turning around and doing up a thing on the Mount of Transfiguration. We were going to do a sermon on it. I got five, six, seven days into it, and I realized it could, I couldn't do it on a sermon basis. Right. I had a week to prepare for this thing. This thing is huge. Right. Okay, it just cannot be done. So I can either lie to you, right. I can either come out and go, hey, you know what, Here, here's a little milquetoast thing. Right. Okay. Or I took the months to go out. I can now tell you the story. Yeah. But if you think you're going to get it in eight minutes, believe me, you're not even going to get... I can't even give you an outline in eight minutes. Exactly. And the end part of that verse is, for this was word profitable for you? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Is it profitable for, unprofitable for you as a teacher, elder, and for the person that's receiving the gospel message? Mm-hmm. It's unprofitable for everyone if that doesn't happen. And the profitability of this thing, we looked down the road, that was 12 years ago. Right. From 12 years ago to now, this friendship, this group church that we have here right oh believe me this has been the best thing that's ever happened yeah no church out there and I've, I've went to a lot of them I don't know what denominations I haven't experienced verse 18 pray for us for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably this good conscience thing here is when you hear me talking about this gospel message I'm totally confident this is a gospel message We've totally been into it. We've totally lived it. Right. We've totally experienced it. Right. Okay, this isn't about we, every 15 minutes we come together and read one more verse and wait for another 15 minutes to read a verse. This is life and blood. Right. Mm-hmm. We're, we're in it. We do it. We face the persecution. Right. If you're not facing persecution, you're not in it. Exactly. And it goes out there. It carries on to your conduct, too, in, in life. And this conduct isn't about I'm good. Okay, nobody's good. The conduct is, my choices are made towards it. My joy is in it. The people that I'm surrounded with are in the same realm. Yep. Yep. Okay, it is a group. It is a a lifestyle. Um, It's different. Verse 19, But especially I urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. And that's an interesting point there. One, exhort you to exceedingly do this, do what? It's spreading the gospel message. It's learning what Paul is saying, carrying it on, like the Philippian church, these other churches that come out of here. He's 
wandering around, spreading his testimony, and it springs off of that. So if these other people are just sitting in the back of the pews, waiting for Paul to return to get another exciting story about what Paul has done, that's not what the gospel message is. you got to go with, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. you got to be out there studying. You've got to be, it's, it's levels. First, you've got to hear the Word of God. You've got to hear the Gospel story. You've got to get into the Word of God. As you're into the Word of God, you're going to face persecution. Right. As you face persecution, God's going to work with you to bring life experiences that are going to become your testimony for the next step. And it goes on and on and on. Exactly. Sitting in the back of the pew, nobody's attacking you. Satan's not going in. Boy, I really need to attack that person who's sitting back in the pew and not say anything. Right. In fact, the ones that are falling asleep, right. I really need to attack them. He's not worried about you. Yeah. And then that I may be restored to you sooner. It, to me, that really points to this definitely being the author of this book being Paul. Mm-hmm. He travels around. We know that he was in prison. Does it mean that? I don't know. There's no real proof of that. But we know that Timothy is with at times with him. Okay, this chapter will later end with a statement about Timothy being released and Paul meets up with a lot of these guys as he's traveling around. Because they come together and go apart. It's a Paul statement. He says in other books, I remember he restored you sooner, I I want to be back here, remember in Philippians. Mm -hmm. He says, I'm sending who? I'm sending Timothy in my place. I can't be there. I'm sending him. He's a good guy. He's my student. Remember this Philippians. He sends Mm -hmm. Timothy in his place. Very Pauline statement there. Verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We were just talking about this every good work. Hearing the gospel story, studying the word for yourself, following God's ways, getting the persecution, getting your own story, stepping out in the testimony, giving the gospel message to another person, okay? And because you gave that gospel message to another person, you're going to receive more persecution, and it starts a cycle, okay? And notice you've already started the next person on that same cycle. Mm -hmm. It's a growth. It's it's a testing, it's a refining. These this is the good work, and this good work is notice all the glory is going to God because all the good work is the gospel story. Right? Well, notice where you started with your explanation was opening the Bible. The good yes. work is not going out. Okay, what can I do for this world today? What is it that I can do for this world? No, the first step: open your Bible. Yes. Learn, read. Talk to God. Listen to Him. Get the faith. You don't get the you don't do exactly. the action, and faith comes. Mm-hmm. You get the faith by hearing the Word of God. Right. That's going back to these verses. I'm just going to break this some stuff down. May the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, okay, calling Paul or this writer a liar, okay, Jesus resurrected or he didn't. This writer is reinforcing that Jesus did resurrect. God brought Jesus. He resurrected Jesus. Strong statement. And this isn't a faith issue. There are 500 witnesses. This is a fact issue. So if you don't have that as a fact, and you still have that I believe, I don't believe, Mm -hmm. you need to go read the word more. The great shepherd of the sheep, we have a shepherd. We have a helper. The Lord. The Lord is my helper. He's 
the shepherd of us who are the sheep. Right. Well, let's go back to that sheep part. We are the sheep. We are the ones who who are let out to be killed. Right. There are wolves after us. Right. Okay. If you don't understand what the concept of a sheep is, right. Okay. A sheep is an innocent person that this world is still trying to kill. Right. They're still coming after you through the blood of the everlasting covenant, and that is the new covenant. It's a covenant in, with Jesus's blood as a final, once and for all sacrifice for all sin, past, present, and future. And everlasting, and, because he's still living. We have a living God. Right. And, at first they used animal sacrifice, because, symbolically, it was going to take blood. What is required of sin? Death. Right. Okay? They used animals as a symbol to tell you, or, or God could have just killed you, and then it wouldn't do you any good. You'd never learn a lesson. Okay? So even the beginning part, the symbolic part, is teach you a story as to what it would take. Blood, Jesus couldn't have stayed in heaven and died as God and saved your sins. He had to come down, he had to be kin. He had to be born of a woman to be kin, to pay the price for human sin. Right. And And all of these are shadows just leading up to the main event. Right, and then verse 21, make you complete in every good work to do his will. And i got something on there. Good work to do His will. It's not you. It's His will. It's not your will. It's His will. And through His will you do good works. It's That's a your... great verse right there to show you how that process is. Right. It's not your good work anyway. Right. It's His good work. Right. Anytime you have a you in there, we're already not his, at, at God's will. Absolutely. You hear these quotes, you know, Calvin, yeah, you should do every good work every day you can and every minute you can. You know what I have to say? You is in there too much. Way too much. You're... You is the problem. You okay. are the sinner. You are the problem. Right? Your will, we don't want to know about that. We want you to give up that will in order to have His Spirit fill you so you can know His will. Right. And that, then you get, then you do good works. Right. It, that's why the His reborn. Right. you got to give up you right. to get Him in you. And then, going on, reinforces that. Working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight. Because without Him working through you, is definitely not pleasing. God doesn't want to see it. Nope. Yeah. All your works are filthy racks. He says this over and over again. Right. And your works are his works, hence the member the crown. Yes. Okay. We'll get into that later. Let's reinforce this even more. Through Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. If you're wondering who it is, it's Jesus. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I say amen to that too. Amen. <laughs> Verse 22. And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in few words. He's exhorted the truth of Jesus Christ through the whole book of Hebrews. Everything the Jews need to know about what the Old Covenant was and what the New Covenant is, now you need to act. He's turned around and he's expounded the knowledge of the Old Testament and broken it out into simpler parts so it could be categorized and pieced together so that you could clearly see what is going on. Mm-hmm. And now they need to bear the word as an action. I've, well, I've taken the, the word. Time. They've always said they believed in the word. Right. And now that it's been explained to them, like Philip did with the eunuch, now where do you go from there? Because right. that eunuch turned around and said, let me be baptized. What's stopping me from being baptized? He acted on the word. 23, know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. And we know that Paul and Timothy are together. Is this Timothy writing Hebrews? How can it be with that statement? 
we know Paul and Timothy are close together. We already mentioned in Philippians, he sends to that church Timothy, okay? Timothy jailed, set free, or tied up somewhere, and he's set free. It's another verse backing up the point that it's Paul. Well, he's either, Timothy is either imprisoned, right. or tied up with the gospel message, right. doing the work of Either one doesn't matter. Timothy is being restrained from catching up with Paul right now. Okay? Or he's, he's catching up with somebody. It would lead you to believe it's Paul. Though Silas and Timothy do things, there are other people with Paul. Timothy, everyone's going to relocate back to the center, that elder that is helping them, that everyone's trying to help back, which is Paul. 24. Greet all those who rule over you and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Okay, when they're talking about Italy, another Paul backing up verse. Right. When they're talking about the, the saints from Italy, some people said that that's like Peter when he was in Rome and stuff. Paul's relatives are in Rome. Paul's relatives are in the service of Caesar. Okay. This is Paul. He said the same thing in Philippians, too. Yeah, he said yeah. it in several of his books. Right. And with the classic last verse, another verse closing out all of Paul's books. What is the last verse? 25, grace be with you all. Amen. I mean, that's... Who else Very writes Paul. that at the end? Right. Yeah, you can always tell Paul's writing, and you can only tell John writing, because they each have their own style to end up a right. letter. And his style is, now, Paul is a Pharisee. He understands the Old Testament. He understands Jewish law. This is written to the Hebrews. Who would give a message to the Hebrews other than Paul? Okay, who is qualified to do that? Now, the thing is that this book appeared in Greek. Well, it could have later been transcribed, maybe, you know, this was a sermon given. I still like the idea that this was a sermon Paul gave, and it was written down, possibly, by Luke or someone like that. But Luke, the words are... Timothy. Yeah. I mean, Timothy yes. does know, yeah, he has Greek, Greek language, too. But the words, whatever, sermon or the writings, if it's a sermon, it's still Paul. If it's the writings, it's still Paul. It you doesn't can, matter. You can tell from the content, you can tell from the background. There, There's... You know, somebody who always puts peppermint in their steaks. Right. Well, this is Paul. Paul's got his own certain flavors going into it. And I'm, I'm telling you, for uh, just in a recent couple, last, what, 150 years, before that, before 150 years ago, every, the Bible said the uh, church didn't let people read back then, okay, that, this book began, the epistle of Paul to the Hebrews. When the uh, Gutenberg Bible was printed, it's, the Epistle of Paul to the Hebrews. Just in the last hundred some years, hundred fifty some years, it's now the Epistle to the Hebrews because there's been debate on the proof of who wrote this. Well, if you read your Bible, if you read Paul, it's not hard to figure out. I really think it's a non-issue. It's, I think it's a bad thing that this is the Epistle to the Hebrews. It should be for us all those hundreds of years, like he used to say, the Epistle of Paul to the Hebrews. If it was and the be, story. If it was going to be challenged, it shouldn't be challenged now. Yeah, challenged. It should have been challenged way back then. Yeah. Challenge other things and then. You know, there were plenty of people who didn't like Paul. They should have brought up the challenge. Right. You're splitting hairs. This is one of the greatest books about who Jesus is, about why he came, how he pays for all the sin, how the new covenant works, the Sabbath. There's a load. It's, this book is excellent. It's one of the reasons why we wanted to get into it on cementing, making sure the foundation is firmly there with our commentaries on what Christianity is and who Jesus is. It's an excellent book for that. Let's look at what the words say and not split hairs over who wrote it. I mean, my God, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's an excellent know, book, no matter what. 
Yeah, you can always go back and, and just forget about who wrote it and just look at what it says and examine it and go from that point. Right. But when you do that, you're going to find that the only person who's really qualified to turn around and do this was Paul. Was Paul. Yeah. And with that, we conclude the uh, book of Hebrews.